The WojPod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Welcome into David Fisdale, former head coach with the Knicks, the Grizzlies, and of course, eight years as an assistant with the Miami Heat, with Eric Spolstra, who is now the second longest tenured head coach <laughs> in the NBA. How about that? Would you would you have imagined that, Fizz, um, when you two started over, that, that Eric Spolstra, not only the two NBA championships and now obviously going to the finals here, a fourth time as a head coach, Hmm. Uh, fifth time, I should. Fifth time yeah, as a head fifth, coach. Fifth, fifth time yeah. as a head coach. It, it has been a remarkable run, and you were there on day one. I was there uh, first day. You got uh, well, not the first day. You got the job, but once you got the job, he brought me in that year. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and we got a. I mean, obviously, it's. Uh, you think about twelve years before that, we were just video goons, hashing away. You know, hacking away at, at VHS tapes and working on VCRs and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I just always felt like knowing him over the course of that time and how his mind worked and how, uh, how diligent he was about his work, um, how open-minded he was about growing and, and evolving. And uh, I always felt like he was going to be a great coach. Was it always going to be in Miami, longest tenure coach, you know, five times to the final who's, I didn't know that, but I did learn really fast early on that this guy knew what he was talking about. He was prepared. Um, you know, he wasn't afraid to clash if he had to, um, you know, and he was learning from the absolute best. I mean, when you talk about Jeff Bezdelic, Stan Van Gundy, uh, Bob McAdoo, Pat Riley. I mean, that first year I was there in the video room, that staff was phenomenal. I mean, a lot of people don't know, maybe not know who Jeff Bezdelic is, but Jeff Bezdelic can coach. And he was the best scout hands down back in those days uh, in, in the league. He actually changed the whole idea of what scouting was. And so uh, Spo learned from the absolute best when it came to all of those things. And, uh, you know, uh, him having success and doing what he's doing, uh, that's not ultimately that surprising to me. Lakers heat start on Wednesday night, Fizz. And oh, I got, yeah. I got the sense you could kind of see this one. I know you had a lot of confidence and belief in Miami that they were going to be able to make a run here. And as they were doing it, you could see uh, the way they were playing. They were going to be hard to beat. And obviously the Lakers, especially once the Clippers were out and the Clippers were just not playing well in the right. bubble, the right. Lakers clearly separated themselves early um mm -hmm. this is a we we've never had two teams who were in the lottery who missed the playoffs and then jumped up to the finals because of the anthony davis trade and lebron having been there there was a sense the lakers were going to be um they had the opportunity to do that i'm not sure a lot of people saw the heat coming in this way mm -hmm. but no but way they did just 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 from a broad view how do you see this matchup, these two teams, styles, personnel? Uh, wow. I think it's a, it's a tale of two teams for sure. The thing I think that makes them very similar is that they're very deep. Both teams can go, you know, well into their rotation, you know, 11th man type stuff. Uh, I think you saw 
uh, you know, J.R. Smith and, and Deion Waiters are capable guys. The deeper the Lakers go, uh, you see the Lakers aren't afraid to play three centers. Uh, you know, Miami, they have, you know, a plethora of wings. You saw Spo uh, <laughs> dust off Solomon Hill. And, and literally. Literally. And, and great minutes, you know, yeah. quality minutes. Solomon's a pro and uh, he fits their culture. He's tough, um, you know, and he's one of those Swiss Army Swiss Army Knights, like Spo like to call them. And so six, seven, tough. And so Miami has a bunch of those in their tool shed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think Miami has a lot of guys that can throw at LeBron, which I think is critical if you have any chance of beating him. You have to have four to five guys that can resist him. Can you stop him? I don't think so. I don't think there's anybody, any team in the league, because he just does so much to impact the game. It's like, what are you going to take away? It's three? That doesn't make sense. Okay, you're not going to let him drive, but he's just going to pick you apart from the top of the floor or the elbow area or whatever or the post. And So he's got, you know, you just have to make it difficult for him. And I just felt like the Heat have, you know, when you go Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Iguodala, um, uh, Solomon Hill, uh, Derrick Jones Jr., Bam, <laughs> if you had to. You got a lot of guys that you can at least put in his way. So I think that's the first key to any chance of a team knocking a LeBron team off. I think that's what's been always the key to where he's fallen the most is when teams have a couple of guys they can put on mm-hmm. them. Now, <laughs> the X factor, which I think I'm just repeating what everybody else is probably saying, is, is what is Anthony Davis going to bring to the table? And this is going to be, you know, Anthony is big, but Bam is relentless. And Bam is disciplined and technically sound. You know, that's one thing with the Heat is is they drill the technique of defending uh, within the rules as well as anybody. And and I watch Bam and he's, you know, he blocks with his left and right hand. Mm -hmm. His post-line defense, you can't, you ain't backing him down. You're not moving him off his spot. Uh, where you saw is conversely, Joker was able to get Anthony Davis off his spot a few times and things like that. So that's a technique thing. And uh, Bam has all of that. And so, uh, and, and also you got to guard Bam. Yeah. And so that's where I feel like it's going to, the, the game is going to be won and lost in that matchup. I really believe that. Um, who, who, who gets the best of that matchup, I think will ultimately uh, be the deciders. Uh, but I tell you what, the others are very intriguing. When you talk about uh, the Lakers, I don't think the Lakers have, um, after you go LeBron, AD, which is super explosive, right. the best duo in the game. After that, I don't feel like they have that explosive guy that could just come out of nowhere and drop a 30 ball, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the Heat, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, they got a couple of guys on any given night and the way they move the ball and the way they play that could come out and give you a 20 to 30 point uh, uh, a game. And so I think that's what makes the heat really dangerous, um, you know, but it's really going for the Lakers. Others, they got to make shots. You know, at the end of the day, Danny Green, uh, KCP, Rondo is going to be really uh, a guy that's going to have to make his open shots. Uh, those guys are going to have to hit shots. Kuzma, they're going to have to hit shots for LeBron and, and, and AD because the Heat, one thing I got for sure, they're going to pack it in. Mm-hmm. They're going to make it tough on, on, on AD and LeBron to get their feet wet in the paint. 
And uh, and those guys are going to have to be ready to shoot the ball and knock down big shots. And, you know, luckily for the Lakers, we talk about Danny Green, just a guy that broke the record for threes in the finals. And, right. <laughs> you know, they got some. They got some guys that that's, that don't get sick and see either. You know, Rondo's been been in this movie a few times and, and how he's been fantastic. You know, everybody doubts him. Yeah. But this guy keeps himself in, in, in elite shape and he's a, he's a, you know, his basketball mind is, is in the one percentile and, you know, he knows who he is. And so this guy, everybody doubts him, but he just sits there and laughs because he knows. Rondo has had one of the most <laughs> unusual careers, just unusual for this era where you <laughs> was after Dallas and second, you know, Dallas, Sacramento, and you know, played better in New Orleans and then to the Lakers, just, uh, just unusual. And yet here he is in the final, in the playoffs, making a big impact for the Lakers. And, and, you know, he brings a presence that, um, oh, man. He brings a presence. I mean, he literally disrupted the Nuggets. I mean, the other night, the way he disrupted them defensively, and it it just it turned the game, and that's what he can do. As great as Jamal Murray was, and I mean he was that was sensational. His whole run, the shots he was making. Watch Rondo's minutes guarding him, and he really bothered Jamal Murray. Like just deflections and steals. He had to pick up his dribble a few times. He was the one guy that I felt like kind of disrupted Jamal's rhythm. And like you said, just <clears throat> He knows your offense better than you. So he's already ahead of the play you're trying to make. He's already, you know, so he's getting deflections. He's telling people where to be. And that's just invaluable experience when you get this deep into it, uh, where you don't have time to be looking over at coach trying to get answers. You know, you got a guy on the floor that's giving you the playbook right there uh, and really, you know, getting you in the right place. And you And you couple that with the other smartest guy on the planet when it comes to basketball, LeBron James. I mean, these guys are are are, are really an awesome team to watch play, and I and I, you know, you've got to credit Frank Vogel and the staff for you know putting these guys in the right places uh, for them to have ultimate success. Um, you know, I really thought the only team that could beat them at the you know during the season was the Clippers because mm-hmm. I felt that same theory. I was p- applying that same theory where okay, here they got Kawhi, they got Paul George, they got Marcus Morris. You know, maybe uh, uh, Montrez can go over there. Jamichael Green, they could all stand in front of LeBron and at least hit on. Yeah, they were built. They built a team to be able to compete with that. And and and, um, yeah, yeah, and for for whatever reason, they just couldn't get it back together in the bubble. uh, You know, for whatever reason, and it's just this was such a unique year, and and you know, the bubble presented its own landscape of challenges. I think a, a lot of a lot of the Heat's success, and not saying that he couldn't do this in arenas because they're tough. They could have went to another team's arena and got all of this done. They were built but for also, this environment. Yes, but this environment is like, okay, no family, no friends. We're in the Thunderdome, mm-hmm. and it's just our team against yours. What you going to do? And they draw, no team draws a line in the sand. No organization draws a line in the yeah. sand better than the Heat. And so when when, you know, that's why I'm not surprised that they are where they are in the bubble. Right. It would have been tougher for them, I think, out in the the, the world going yeah. into arenas. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the same time, they got the kind of toughness that could have still did what they're doing now, if not very close to it. Yeah, and I think the bubble too. You know, having been down there through most of the playoffs and the seeding games, I, I thought that sometimes role players play much better at home. There's a reason. 
they're not stars in many cases is the great players can go do it anywhere, right? They can do it with their own crowd. They can shut your crowd up. And I thought the balance of that heat lineup, I'm not saying Tyler Harrell, that kid looks like, listen, <laughs> I'm not Tyler Harrell go anywhere. And, and, you know, but Duncan, but, but player like a player like Duncan Robinson and, uh, you know, some of their others, and, and this was true, I think, on on Denver too, that mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. able to. There was no, there was no home and away. It, you just went and played, and you didn't have the reaction of the crowd. You didn't have the, the the things that can throw something emotionally. And and I thought the other thing too with Miami is they could manufacture their own intensity, emotion. Yes. They didn't need a crowd to do it. And not every team down there had success doing it. And I thought Miami did. They brought their own intensity to the gym. And I thought that was a real thing for them. And and the Lakers, you know, I think LeBron talked about the fans and some of it early on, but they did a very good job of that too. And and I thought yeah. it helped carry both those teams through. Well, I think again, when you talk about being able to muster that kind of collective will in a such a uh, you know unique environment, you got to credit the coaches. You got to really give those coaches credit for being able to bottle up motivation and bottle up you know the 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 why of what they're doing uh, and be able to get them to put that out on the court. You know, uh, I I do agree. I think Denver is very similar to Miami from the standpoint. I think that I don't know if they could have pulled off three one twice outside the bubble. I don't know that, um, you know, maybe they could have, but I do know that when you do have a crowd, crowds tend to be able to, uh, ex- you know, they're like gasoline on a run, yeah. right? And so they could really separate, get, just just the intensity of a crowd back in the team and what that does to a team. No one could ever really put their thumb on what that is, but whatever it is that teams get when, when fans are cheering, you know, it, it could put a team on a run and, and it could bury you. And so a lot of these comebacks and things like that that have happened, I don't know if that would have happened outside the bubble. But what I do know, what makes, like you said, what makes Miami unique is they are, it's a collection of guys who were built to play in whatever environment you put them in. You know, it's just like, it's like, you know, the SEALs, like you drop them off in Iraq. Mm. They're going to figure it out. You know, you drop them in some jungle somewhere in Cambodia, they're going to figure yeah. it out, you yeah. know, and they're going to figure out a way to win and come out of that thing mm-hmm. alive. And so, you know, they're the one team I really feel that, that that's how they think. And I think the yeah. Lakers, you know, when you're chasing, I think, and I really believe this, I think when you're chasing legacy and you're a part of somebody, you're around somebody whose legacy is on, on the line, you know, and, and – a guy who's really chasing the pinnacle, because I just remember that feeling of being with LeBron. It does something to you. It makes you it makes you want to go a little bit harder, prepare a little bit better, because you you, you realize it's so much bigger than you, you know. And, and here it is: this guy has carried this weight on his shoulders since the ninth grade, and chasing this greatness, you know, this this so-called greatest player deal. And he's not even. That's the funny part about it. He doesn't even look at it that way. He's just trying to win as many titles and, 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 you know, give himself as many years to compete for a title as he can. But when you know you're a part of that, like, you know, I know Rondo understands that. I know Danny Green understands that. These guys get what this means 
in the big in the in the big picture of the history of the game, whether it's for the Lakers getting another title, or whether it's for LeBron getting another title with another team, and most likely will be Finals MVP, right? And so if he wins, if they win it, and so I think that helps build a certain type of motivation into it that the other teams don't have as well. And so that's why what's helped, I really believe, is what's helped the Lakers. And you you couple that with the death of Kobe and Gigi Bryant and the way that Frank Vogel is utilizing that and keeping his memory in there, right in their face, right in the mm. forefront of you, you represent something bigger than yourself. You're doing this for somebody, you know, for, for something bigger than you. Uh, I think that's given the Lakers a lot of fuel to try to push through this thing. But they got, you know, both teams. I mean, this is going to be so damn fun. Yeah, and, and like you said earlier, you know, I think something that's interesting, you said both teams were out of the playoffs last year, didn't make the playoffs, was in the lottery. But these are the two types of franchises that can go from that to this. You know, Boston, Lakers, you know, Miami, Golden State. <laughs> right. Next year, right, their lottery day back. So it's like that. those teams can do that. Uh, but it's a credit to both organizations, and I think this is going to be fun. Having grown up in L.A., you still live in Los Angeles, knowing the expectations that surround the Lakers. And, mm. you know, it's there's like that UCLA quality, right? UCLA, they don't hang up Pac-12 Pac championship banners. They don't hang up Sweet 16 banners. They hang up national championship banners. And the Lakers, I think the Lakers, the Celtics, because they have so many titles um, especially. But, but the Lakers, you are judged by winning a title and LeBron is judged not against, you know, he's judged with Kobe and with magic and with Kareem who have multiple titles in LA. And it doesn't matter that they were out of the playoffs and in the lottery and anywhere else you'd get to the finals and you'd go, what a turnaround. This is, this is supposed to be there. Right. That is not how it's viewed. (laughs) And, And I always thought from the beginning with Kobe that he was, I don't know that LeBron underestimated it, but I know he eventually felt it there. There's um, the, the the Laker fandom and Kobe, oh. and before even Kobe's tragic loss, it's his own entity. And and Kobe looms over this finals in a lot of ways for the Lakers, for LeBron. Absolutely. It's a lot to carry. It's a lot to carry. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a, it's a big weight, and it's historic. And, you know, the fact that those guys played the Olympics together and just, and I do think LeBron, it really hit him when Kobe passed, how the magnitude of it. But growing up there, uh, you understood, like, this is how the Lakers and UCLA work. As a kid, you only thought championship. Like when I was playing basketball as a kid, and you could ask Jock Vaughn this, ask Kevin Ollie this, ask Paul Pierce. Baron, that, ask any kid that grew up in LA. All and I'm friends with all of these guys. And the Lakers and UCLA set a tone for you in the game of basketball that championship or bust. That was it. Like I just remember seeing the Pat and and Bob McAdoo and Kareem and Magic going by on the float. You know, I'm like I'm a little kid and I'm watching these guys and I'm like I want to be on the float. <laughs> like this, we got to get on the float, and this, and, and I want to be a champion, and I want to, and so that was instilled in us, young man. Like that was it. It was literally championship or bust. And so LeBron now 
sees that, you know, he had, it was that Miami, but we didn't have the collection of history that the Lakers had. The history started with Pat Riley arriving in Miami. That's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. History started with Pat Riley. We we talking about, uh, 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 ancient kingdom, the Lakers. Right. And so you coming into that and you're the best player in the world and you've won in every place you've gone. And now Laker fans is like, come on, you know, and that's just how they are. And they, they, they're, and if he wins this year, I mean, he'll be amongst mm-hmm. the, the great jerseys that's up on the wall. I guarantee you his jersey goes on the wall, even though he won't play as many years or, you know, or, or put up as many banners maybe as some of those other guys. But, but, but for what he accomplished in his career, you know, he had, if he wins a title there, he has to go up on that wall. And I think that, that motivating factor and that pressure that goes with that is what's driving those other guys on his team to be ready to go and play at a high level. Fizz, there's going to be a lot of talk about LeBron and the Heat meeting up here. <laughs> uh, LeBron's four seasons in Miami, you were there for them. And I guess in a very simple way, when you look back at LeBron in Miami, it was <laughs> rocky at the beginning. It was a little rocky at the end. But in between, tremendous amount of winning. Take me back, Fizz, to the very beginning in Miami. I heard stories about the first practices of making him run through defensive drills over and over and over. He was being coached in a different way. And you guys made a decision as a coaching staff that we're not going to tiptoe into this, right? And that started – that started uh, what was at times um, a challenging relationship until each side figured the other out a little bit. Yeah, you know, and we didn't know, you know, how he was coached in Cleveland. I mean, they had success. You know, I know ultimate success is one of the title, but, you know, what Mike Brown did in Cleveland with Bron, those were the best defensive teams in the league. They won 60 games a year. So it wasn't like it was like he, he was coming in as this like totally undisciplined you know, I need to learn how relearn how to play type of basketball. But there was an element of intensity and an element of, of responsibility, uh, an element of respect for the game. Um, that there was this built-in notion that the best player was just like the 15th player. And that all of those things we had to go through and and ingraining him in the culture, you know, led to some bumps. But the funny part about it, everybody thought the bumps was these kind of bumps. Well, they there weren't. was a there was a literal bump. There was there a literal was, there bump. Was a, which there spoke. was a chest bump, but I don't think that was anything. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it was. Yeah, I'm so intense, you know, and we're that's just how we are. Like, we're just rams, you know. I just remember so many times, like, me and Spo yelling at each other in the huddle. But it was just like, you know, just, ah, I'll see you. I'll I, I bring you coffee after the game. You know, it was like, it was, that's, that was our environment. But the, 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 the real bumps in the road was LeBron, Dwayne, and Chris trying to figure out their pecking order. And all of them were, were, were taking a step back. And so – we were getting in situations where we get shot clock violations because they keep passing up shots or, 
you know, it was like we get turnovers because a guy would expect one guy to do one thing and he was doing another. And so it took time to get them to get, you know, establish that kind of hierarchy almost of, of okay, you know, and what Spo did, what I thought was crazy, he said, everybody just be aggressive, go the other way. Like, don't be the, the guy trying to, you know, take a back seat. Everybody just push forward, be aggressive. And when you're in that moment, make the right play. And so I think that's what eventually, you know, moved us forward. But the early practices, I still say this today. Um, I've been coaching 24 years, pretty much. And that training camp was the best collection of practices I've ever witnessed in my basketball life. And I don't know if I'll ever see those kind of practices ever again. That training camp on that Air Force base and the, the amount of defensive drills we did uh and the, the intensity in everything we did uh Spo never let Dwayne and LeBron play on the same team he never let Udonis Haslam and Chris Bosch play on the same team uh Jawan Howard was in that power forward mix where they would just rotate beating the hell out of each other um and so it, it just it was it was uh I say I always believe that that training camp ended up in it set up our future, even though we didn't win it against Dallas. And and the defense was – we were as good defensively as any team probably historically when it comes to trapping and scrambling and, and rotating. And Dallas was that much better mm-hmm. at moving the ball. And, and this was I, pre-switching stuff. So we weren't switching and doing yeah. all of that. And what I thought was unique about how dominant of a defensive team that was, and now it's much more common, you did it without a traditional center. There hadn't been a team, you know, Orlando was an elite defensive team then uh, built around Dwight and Dwight's shot blocking and rebounding right. and defense. Uh, but that Miami team did it with small ball essentially, and Joel Anthony playing some of the sentiments, that was new to the league that mm-hmm. I thought you guys brought uh, at that time in terms of elite defensively and doing it the way you said it, trapping and and and, and defending your man. And Yeah, and I just felt like our small ball was not that small. Right. You know, when you, when you really think about some of the guys we were putting on the floor, LeBron's huge, Dwayne's not a little guy, mm-hmm. Shane Battier's and yeah. people are Bosch. These guys were big athletic guys. And it was just, I think it was, you know, and I've seen some teams tinker with it a little bit. Uh, I saw the Lakers do it the other night where they were trapping Jamal Murray, but teams have gotten, you know, further away from putting two on the ball like that because guys are so good at spreading the floor and, you know, the three ball going up. But, man, I tell you what, but I just remember going back. I, I probably went back and watched uh, game six and seven against the Spurs um, right after COVID and watching that team scramble mm-hmm. as the Spurs are not even looking. They're <laughs> just throwing the ball, knowing their guy is going to be there. Like mm-hmm. we, it's, it was a, Spo did such a good job of building great defensive habits with that group. And uh, like I said, I think the two rings and the four runs all were rooted in that camp. Fizz, what was the mantra that the coaching staff would say to each other when you, especially early on, you're struggling early, you're nine and nine at one point. I think some people might forget that you were at 500, you know, 20, almost 20 games into the season. What was it that you would say to each other in the locker room about, we can't be afraid to get what? Oh, 
I forgot. Well, was was, was it to get fired? We can't be afraid to get fired. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, that was absolutely it. Like we we that was always our deal. Like because we always felt like if we coach afraid, we're getting fired. So if we're gonna get fired at some point, let's make sure it's because we're attacking as a coaching staff and not taking punches. Uh, you know, because we're dealing with some major personalities and egos, and these guys are gonna test you. And we knew we were gonna be tested. You know, that team was even down to like the the last man on the roster. Those guys all had a certain ego to them, and so uh, we just knew that we had to be locked armed in the trench, supporting each other, having each other's backs, and making sure that we were holding the line uh, to a culture that was gonna be tested early. Because you got all of these new faces coming in. You had Mike Miller, you had Braun, you had you had a lot of new guys in the mix that hadn't lived under the same roof. Um, and so, uh, you know, we laid on Dwayne, Udonis, and, and Mario Chalmers a lot to to really spread the, the culture. But we knew as a staff that we had to really be in, in lockstep with each other. Um, you know, and I always tell the story, but, I, you know, we it was a point that me and Spo was like that nine and nine. We were like, uh, we might get the axe because <laughs> the fans were chanting for Pat Riley. and. Uh, uh, and Pat came in the office and told us, he said, nah, I'm not coaching this team. He said, you, you guys got this. He said, after the practices I've seen, he said, it's just a matter of time for this team makes its run. And thank goodness for the Godfather, because he uh, we went on a 22 out of 23 run, I think, after that, where we just we just took off. And the, the whole thought of fire spow and all of this silly crap uh, was thrown out the window. Fizz, the, the, the Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra relationship, um, you know, it evolves over time from, you know, president head coach to just, you know, kid in the video room, right? Who's working his way up to advanced scout to, you know, the fourth or fifth assistant coach and then up the bench and then and then head coach. But still, it was that a time where you thought that Spo and the coaching staff needed Pat to have your back? And he did. But then you don't win the championship in the first year. And, you know, we better not try that another time. Like, we better not not win a title in year two or right. that's going to be hard to survive. What did you see with their relationship then and how it evolved and how maybe at some point, listen, Pat's Pat. And like you said, you guys all call him the godfather. But that, that spoke kind of, you know, they, you start to become more peers. You start to become more peers and less the, the young guy that you just gave a chance to. Well, I think what Spo did over time was Spo, you know, Spo evolved and grew. And and I think that's what Pat saw in him as a young coach and that he felt comfortable giving him the keys early on uh, before the big three because he saw Spo grow throughout the organization. He saw him taking these jumps, you know, where his 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 basketball acumen was just just growing in such big bursts. You know, Spo grew like a coach. Spo grew as a coach, like you see, like these young super freaks coming into, like Giannis. Mm -hmm. How Giannis went from this skinny, lanky, raw, athletic, tough kid to this monster that we see today. That's how Spo's jumps in coaching went. And Pat watched that. You know, Pat watched him learn it from Stan and how to be a great assistant coach. Not a good assistant coach, but great assistant. And he heard, he watched his voice grow. As a coach, he watched him in summer leagues. He watched him in practice, and he watched him developing Dwayne. 
And he's just seeing this guy in front of him like, I think I got something here if I ever decide to take a step back. And, uh, you know, here it is. You got this Filipino white guy that he doesn't look like a baller at all. I tell him that all the time, but he could play. He's a good player. But he knows his stuff. He knows what he is doing. And the players respected the hell out of him. And so when we first got in the seat, uh, you know, Spo did a hell of a job those first two years. But I think what Pat knew was when those guys came in, he said, I, my guy can handle this. And this is going to be and So when we lost to Dallas, it wasn't like a, it wasn't one of those feelings in the offseason like, oh, we got to win or we're going to get fired or not. It was more like we're going to win mm-hmm. because we're pissed. We're going to win because we're supposed to. We're going to win. That was our – it was mm-hmm. that kind of – it wasn't as much worried about it. Pat uh, was incredibly supportive. Like he just he just pushed all his chips in with Spo and just – you know, he was just always supporting. He was always giving, you know, his tidbits of suggestion without feeling like he's stepping too far as the president. You know, because when you're the head coach, you're in this this bubble of your own. And, and sometimes you don't want to hear it from anybody, you know. And Pat really understood how to walk that line and, and really get Spo information that he thought could be useful. But at the same time, not make him feel like Pat's infringing on the right. team. Or, you know, because it's, it's tough. Pat's a Talking about one of the greatest coaches of all time, how can he not give suggestion? You know, and and that's where I ended up being a valuable piece to him because Pat would just funnel stuff through me mm-hmm. to Spo. You know, and so Spo would say, "Man, Fizz, that was a great idea you came up with." And I was like, "I know, all right, I'm getting smart." <laughs> <laughs> I just gave him Pat's five great Hall of Fame ideas. And so I was like, "Man, Fizz, you're really good, like, like, dude." That was. That was Pat's man. Like I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> but it was great for me because you know because Spo was always you know obviously consumed with the group. It gave me moments of time uh, with Pat that to this day I just I'll, I'll cherish because I got to spend so many just like pockets of time with him talking about philosophy and basketball and you know sets and just players and history he you know his his stories and the history of what he's seen is like so i just felt like that relationship between those two uh has evolved and grown and it's still godfather mm-hmm. and son trust me like as close as they are to peers mm-hmm. it's still that mm-hmm. that hey this is the godfather and that's from that's spo that's spo like yeah. he's always going to put pat um, you know, in a place of where he understands how much he means to him. And uh, and I know it's vice versa from Pat, too. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's funny. And maybe for some people it has taken this playoff run with Eric Spolstra um, to, to see him as one of the elite, the elite of the elite coaches. But, but in the coaching profession, in the league, general managers, I would always say this. If you made, and this was before this season, this is back, this is back to 2010, uh, 14, and then post LeBron and and uh, Chris Bosh after, and and as they cycled through, even when there was a run of five of essentially 500 ball with some really difficult rosters, um, yeah, with make maximizing whatever he had. But I always, I and I believe this: if you made all 30 coaches free agents in the NBA and all 30 teams could just go out into the marketplace or we did a draft of the coaches. Spo would be at the top 
If he's not number one, he'd be number two. There might be somebody else. But if you said, I just want someone to run my program and to get my players better and to uh, coach the games and then coach the playoff games and make adjustments, all the elements that go into uh, being a head coach in a league, he he checks every single every, box. Every box. And, 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 the big, and the biggest box he checks is, is his character. That's the that's what you've gotten to know him, and I've obviously known him for twenty plus years now. The guy is his he's as high a character human being as I've ever met. He's his his basketball integrity is as high as it can possibly. He wouldn't. This is how this is where Spo obviously he's he's a much better coach than me because I lie to the players about statistics. <laughs> I've got no problems with fudging some stats to get a point across. <laughs> Spo will ride that line. This is the numbers. That's the numbers. That's it. And I, you know, and and that that is a credit to him that he has that that incredible integrity uh, um, to that he brings every single day to the to to a practice to to his team in a, in, a, in preparation moments. And absolutely, he's at the top of the draft, no doubt about it. I think what you're seeing now is is you're getting to really see it. Yeah, because people always say like, "Oh, you got big three, you're supposed to win," and that's hard. They don't realize how hard it is mm-hmm. to coach a team like that. Uh, but this team and, and what he's done with it, and the different tweaks uh, that he's had to make to make them really good. You know, they got Iguodala in them right before all of this stuff yeah. really kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they started playing, but they never really got right, you know, together. You know, and so for them to be able to to work those guys in. And Jay Crowder's been yeah. sensational in these playoffs. Iguodala last night, that's a champion trying to end the series, right? A guy that's been there. Uh, the way they've worked them in with the guys who already had established roles and stuff like that, Spo is, he, he's just really been, uh, it's been so fun to watch, man, in the zone and the tweaks in his rotation and just, He's really made some incredible decisions and, and adjustments. And, and, and he'll say this, too. As great a coach as he is, his staff is awesome, too. Dan Craig and Chris, Chris Quinn, at some point, are going to get this sniff at the seat. Mm-hmm. And the team is going to be really happy that they hired those guys to be head coaches. I haven't worked with Malik, but he's a Heat guy. And all I know is he's worked with Stan and Spoke. So he must yeah. be coach. So, yeah. so you know, and, and, and all the way, even the guys behind the bench, I know all of these guys that have worked with them, and I know what they pour into it. And the fact that Spo was so open-minded to suggestions for them, if they could give it to them in detail and, and show them how it benefits the team, Spo takes their ideas and he implements them. And, and, and so I know knowing him and all the attention that he's getting right now, hmm. he would want to make sure that people understood that he just got a first-class assistant coaching staff, medical staff, the whole deal. Yeah, and I think what's really unique about the Heat and how when you look at how a front office works with their coaching staff, you know, Adam Simon, who's an assistant GM there, who's been with the organization for 20-plus years, who – Why is he not a GM? Well, can you help me just understand what what do people need to see – what else do they need to see about team building? Yeah, it's it's he's played <laughs> Adam Simon's played um, Adam Simon, uh, you know uh, Chet, who's who's obviously uh, best talent evaluator yeah. 
in yeah. the league, hands down, period. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. And so, uh, but their ability to, like, people look at Duncan Robinson, and he's a good example. The Heat weren't the only team who wanted to sign him on a two-way or wanted to bring him into camp. There was tremendous interest in him. Now, someone should have drafted him, obviously, but they didn't. But once he went undrafted, it wasn't as if the Heat were the only team. The, the Lakers were interested. The Spurs were interested. The Bulls, all over the league. But here's the difference. Here's why uh, Jason Glushon, his agent, and, and Duncan Robinson and the conversations they had, he goes to the Heat because of – we could go to any of these places – but the track record in Miami of developing players like Duncan Robinson, giving those players an opportunity, getting them better, and then finding a role for them in a very structured, you know who the head coach is going to be, you know who the GM is going to be. It's not going to turn over next year. And that's where, you know, an Adam Simon goes in and when he, and, and whether a Pat Riley is involved in a two-way conversation, but, but let's say it's, it's Adam Simon and Andy Ellsberg, obviously the GM, I don't leave, want to leave him out. Like that's where you have an advantage because you've earned it, you've built it. And so whether it's Duncan Robinson or, you know, obviously to hit on two late lottery picks like Tyler Hero and, and Bam Adebayo oh and, God. you know, to, to hit on two guys who are going to be home runs. all-star. I mean, Bam, like Bam's, listen, Bam's a max player. Tyler, 20 years old, you know what he's headed toward. Uh, and that changed the trajectory of all this because we know two and a half years ago when the Heat make that late season run, almost make the playoffs. And looking back, they would regret, you know, uh, whether it was Deion Waiters, James Johnson, they gave these long-term contracts and a lot of money that it felt like they were strapped. They were stuck in salary cap hell. How are they going to get out of this? Well, how you get right. out of it is, you nail two picks in the late lottery who are probably who are future all-stars. You find a Duncan Robinson. You do a sign and trade for Jimmy Butler. Goran Dragic hangs in there with you. And all of a sudden, like, this is – there's not another – I'm not sure there's another organization that could get to the finals. You talk about rebooting. If the Spurs were at the end of their run when they drafted Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi mm -hmm. gave them a second win to keep going – with Tim Duncan and Manu and Tony Parker, uh, this was mm -hmm. far more complex than that. And and yeah. yet here they are in the finals, and they're set up to have major cap space next summer, potentially, uh, for free agency. They can go big game hunting again and um, and even add to this team. Uh, that is, and it's, 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 it's a testament to the organization. Yeah, no doubt. They've, they've, they have, I think what they did um, is, is, you know, they took a chance with some guys that were probably not exactly heat guys. And again, I say that with respect to those guys who got the big contracts, because those guys are good players in their own right. So I'm not trying to take, you know, knock them down. But there is a certain slice of player that just fits with the Heat. And I think what the Heat did is they said, we got to get back to that. And let's let's be okay with, uh, you know, okay, we're going to take our hits right now. We're going to still hold the line culturally. We're going to coach this team hard as hell. But we're going to get back to getting the type of guys that we know we can rely on to win. 
And Bam Adebayo was really the beginning of that. Um, you know, getting Bam in there was huge because Bam to me is like, uh, he's like Udonis 2.0, you know, when it comes to just what the heat, you know, what they exemplify, right? Just best condition, you know, toughest competitor like that. He embodies that. So he was the beginning of that. And, you know, they just made and, and like you said, you got to get lucky. But they, but part of their luck is they have some distinct traits that they look for. And they say, these are things we can't teach them. You know, let's let's look at what we can teach them and fill it all together. You know, a guy like Duncan Robinson had distinct traits that they were looking for. And I think the kid said, you know what? This is good for me. This is like when you sign with the Heat, you're saying, no matter what happens with the Heat, if I go all in, this is going to be better for my career, right? I'm going to get a good contract. With something. Look at look at Tyler Johnson's and, and Jason Richardson and all of these other guys that's come through the program and what it what, where they are and what it's done for them, uh, you know. And so uh, to go back a little bit is uh, all of that is a testament to the people in the building. And Adam Simon is damn sure one of those guys adam simon should be a general manager in this league running his own deal picking his own players he is he just he, the reason if you don't know andy ellsberg and chet camera then you don't understand what i'm saying you're talking about the elite of the elite when it comes to salary cap when it comes to structuring team when it comes to evaluating talent he has been learning from these guys for years. Adam was around when I was in the video room. Like, that's how long ago these guys have been together. You know, I left and came back and the whole crew was still together. Yep. And guys just got better and moved up. Uh, and so when you talk about team building and team structuring, uh, Pat and that crew, that what they did with this team is a case study in itself. And like you said, they are so set up. A big, they going you know, Pat, Pat, yeah. this team, if this team wins it, it's going to be like the biggest feather in this cap ever. Mm -hmm. But you know how Pat is. He's got that big bazooka and he's <laughs> out in the Serengeti and he's going big game hunting when he's got that money to add to this team because mm -hmm. he wants to see a team going to run again. Pat likes runs of rings. Right. And so, you know, he's just sitting back and, 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 you know, evaluating and waiting and looking for the right piece, but he's going to go after a guy. And, and like I said, if you want to learn how to build a team, this is when you talk about the right pieces, ball handling, shooting, defense, toughness, all of the pieces that fit together that helps winning. That's this team is it. Absolutely. Uh, Fizz, this was a lot of fun. Lakers heat. Start Wednesday night, game one. Oh. I know you'll be watching. <laughs> Who you uh, got? I don't do predictions. I don't do predictions. <laughs> I'm using that too then. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't okay. There's okay. enough there's enough else? predictions out there in the world. I do think I think it's gonna be a long series. I think it'll be a great series. I really I do. Hope I, it's a long series. I, I, I do. want it to be seven. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. This is to me, this is a long series. Um I, I think I think this is gonna be great basketball. I really, really do.
Absolutely. The only thing that sucks for me is I, the whole time when we was with the big three, I thought it was me that was getting us the rings and getting us to the finals. <laughs> now they're doing it without me and Jawan Howard, and we're like, what the hell, man? Like, this is, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. <laughs> uh, all right, Fizz. Listen, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time out as always. Anytime, Wells. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you today to David Fisdale. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to check out Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective. He's got a pod up with Ramona Shelburne and Kirk Goldsberry previewing the NBA Finals. And the Low Post with Zach Lowe and catch his NBA Final preview pods this week at the Low Post. We'll catch you again soon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.